Hey guys, welcome to episode four of Hoops and End Zones. I'm your host, Nick Velasquez. And first, I want to talk about the Draymond Green and Jordan Poole incident here. So, Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole in the face after he got into Poole's face and Poole shoved him to get him out of his face. This news was first reported on October 5th, and the video was released by TMZ two days later. And in the video, Draymond and Poole appeared to be exchanging words as Draymond came chest to chest with Poole, who then shoved him and moved him backward. And then Draymond retaliated with that punch to Poole's face and put him on the and ended up putting him on the floor. Now, some media reports said that the fight was related to the players' contract situations, but Draymond later said the contracts had absolutely nothing to do with the fight. And while he did not specifically mention what led up to the incident, he did share that he had been dealing with some personal matters off the court, but did not make excuses for his behavior. He said, when you are doing something when you step on the court, that doesn't go away. As the leader of this team, I need to have a better feel for myself. Draymond later apologized to his teammates, actually almost immediately apologized to his teammates, all of whom said they accepted his apology. However, he's unsure about Jordan Poole and says he wants to give him some space. Now, during the talk, Draymond did insist on making one thing clear. His love for Jordan Poole and his support for Poole has not changed. He said, quote, I love Jordan Poole. That's my guy. I will still write for Jordan, still advocate for Jordan, and do anything that I can to make Jordan's job easy. Now, according to Mark J. Spears of ESPN, Poole and Draymond spoke in front of the team a couple days after the incident, and Poole said it didn't, he didn't think it was necessary for Draymond to get a suspension. And he added that the players were not comfortable levying a suspension on their teammate, and so the onus was placed on the coaching staff to make a decision on whether or not Draymond should be suspended. So now here's my opinion on this. As far as the video being leaked, the person who leaked the video to TMZ should be fired. And I understand that it's 2022 and the media has many different ways of obtaining footage of certain incidents, but leaking the video was unnecessary. They most likely leaked it because TMZ offered them a generous pay and they wanted to make a quick buck off of it. And solely because it's Draymond and the Warriors, they were probably looking for a story to create views and shock value with that. Now, in regards to the incident itself, here's what I believe. Whether verbal or physical, altercations between teammates come with the territory of sports on any level. Whether it's Pop Warner or Pop Warner or CYO or professional sports. However, there is a level of respect that needs to be maintained. And the line is different for every team. It's clear that Draymond crossed that line when he punched Jordan Poole during practice, and that sent ripples throughout the entire organization. He's gotten into several mid-game spats with teammates that have been caught on camera during his tenure with the Warriors, not to mention his reputation at practices. But he did cross the line when he punched Poole, and he's ending up and he ended up facing consequences for it. He had no right to do that to Poole. I mean, if Poole had punched him in the face first, then Draymond would have every right to swing back at him or if or if Draymond had shoved Poole back after Poole had shoved him that would have been reasonable 
Now, the Warriors ultimately decided to fine him and not suspend him. And while I'm, I'm glad that he owns up to his actions and immediately apologized to both Poole and the team, I believe he should have been suspended for at least two games. And it would have been pretty awkward if they suspended him for the first game of the season, considering that's when they're going to receive their championship rings. However, they could have let him play in the first game and then suspend him for the next two games after that. I feel like they chose not to suspend him because they were worried about how Draymond would react to the suspension, and he might create some chaos within the organization after that happened. Now, we've seen Jordan Bell get suspended for ordering a candle to Mike Brown's room. And we've seen Draymond get suspended for one game when he had that on-court spat with Kevin Durant during that December 2018 game against the Clippers. So I feel like a two-game suspension would have been sufficient for this incident. And the Warriors know that work needs to be done for Draymond to regain the trust of his teammates and the organization. And while the team believes that this can happen, it may be a little more complicated than they're hoping for. Because Poole reportedly has not fully forgiven Draymond yet for this incident, but I do believe he will eventually forgive him down the line. On the other hand, I also give the Warriors credit for addressing this issue head-on. They could have easily refused to discuss this situation, but they provided some clarity and insight into the team's headspace following the incident. And for now, it seems like everyone's ready to move on, and I don't feel like this incident will damage their chances to repeat as champions. And we've also heard about multiple teammate skirmishes we've seen in the past between NBA players, most of them being in the heat of moment, of course. Um, we've seen Michael Jordan from the Last Dance documentary punch Steve Kerr during a team practice after Steve Kerr had elbowed him in the cage. We've seen Isaiah Thomas punch Bill Lambeer in practice one time. We know that Kobe Bryant punched Samaki Walker on a team bus after refusing to pay up, to pay up a $100 bet that he owed. And we most recently have heard about Bobby Portis punching Nikola Mirotic during either a 2015 or 2016 practice when they were both members of the Chicago Bulls. So you obviously hate to see this happen between teammates. And although Draymond was out of line for throwing that punch, the Warriors have the leadership, they have the championship pedigree, they have the chemistry, and they have the culture to get past this and put it behind them. And I believe Jordan Poole and Draymond Green will eventually hash things out here in order to make another championship run this season. So next, I'm going to talk about Aaron Judge and his record-breaking season here. And I don't talk about baseball often, but if I feel like there's a huge story that needs to be covered and talked about, I'll definitely do it. And this is one of the few exceptions. So Aaron Judge hit his 62nd home run of the year earlier this season against the Texas Rangers, which broke Roger Maris's single-season American League home run record, which stood for more than 60 years and drew record TV ratings and boosted ticket prices as tons of fans try to catch a piece of baseball history here. So Judge is also the AL leader in runs scored, bases on balls, total bases, extra base hits, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS+, and WAR, for those of you keeping score at home. And he's doing it all in a season where he bet on himself and turned down a seven-year, $213.5 million contract extension because he was confident he was worth more than that. And this is going to prove to be a good call when he almost certainly signs one of the richest 
baseball deals in history this upcoming winter. So the fact that he broke a record that stood for more than 60 years in the American League with the other stats he posted this season is just truly remarkable. And hopefully he continues to have an outstanding career regardless of which team he decides to go play for this upcoming winter here. So next I'm going to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders and what the season has been like for them so far. So they probably suffered their most frustrating defeat this season when they lost 30-29 to to the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday, October 10th. And it's safe to say that this, the season that, that this season going on for them has been a massive disappointment for them. After adding Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones this offseason, they were designed to be a playoff team for the future with a foreseeable Super Bowl window. And yet the Raiders haven't been able to close out games this year. Now, the biggest positive for them has been Josh Jacobs. He's been one of the best running backs in the NFL so far. And the way the Raiders knew brass added to the position this offseason and knowing Josh McDaniels' history in New England, it looked like it would be a running back committee in Las Vegas. And But Jacobs has just been the true bell cow back for them. And he's doing huge damage on the ground here. He's third in the NFL with 490 rushing yards, and he's had career highs in rushing in the past two weeks. Now, the biggest negative for them has been Chandler Jones. The Raiders gave him $34 million in guaranteed money. He's had no sacks in five games, and he's had consistent pressure. But it just he's been disappointing, to say the least, here. And yes, he did have a solid game in Kansas City, but he hasn't given pass rush he hasn't given enough pass rush for them especially to help the other guy that they have on the opposite side of the line max crosby here who's having a monster season so that was the help he's that that was the help that he's been expected to provide but he just hasn't simply provided as much as they would like to so the turning point and i believe this is the lowest part of the season for them was blowing a 20 to nothing halftime lead to the arizona cardinals they became only the fifth team to blow a 20-0 halftime lead, and they got outscored 29-3 in the second half. In all of their losses, they simply just haven't been able to make the big play. It happened again against the Chiefs when they blew a 17-0 lead in the second quarter. So until the Raiders know how to finish games, they're not going to be anyone good, let alone great. And the coaching staff has always has also been disappointing. Uh, McDaniels was known for an offensive guru during his time in New England with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. However, the offense, especially the passing game, has been inconsistent, and Derek Carr just hasn't been as good as he was last season, even with Devontae Adams. And McDaniels has also made some questionable in-game moves, and those two big collapses are on him. McDaniels is just 12-21 and 21 as a head coach, and until he learns... In, until he turns it around, he's going to be reminded about that unimpressive record he has. Now, as far as how they, as far as what they need to do to turn this around, they have to beat the teams they should beat. The Raiders' next six, their next six games are all very winnable. Their next six opponents are combined eleven and seventeen and two, so that's eleven wins, seventeen losses, and two ties. So they can get back. They can get back right into the playoff hunt here, but they simply cannot be their own worst enemies. 
they're not one and four because they lost to a bunch of great teams. Only three out of the first five opponents they've had have had winning records. So now this is their chance to right the ship and undo their own wrongs. And if they can do that, they'll be right back in the playoff race here. So lastly, I want to touch on the Brett Favre scandal again, because there's been, there's been new uh, documents that have been revealed in the role of Brett Favre's future in all of this. And I feel like it's important to talk about it. So I am going to report what the new findings are, and then I'm going to go straight into my opinion on this. So in a document obtained by CBS News, the drug company Prevacus asked for $2 million from the Division of Human Services in the state of Mississippi. And in, ex in exchange for funding, the drug would be tested in Mississippi. And now court documents show that Prevacus was sent $1.5 million with Favre's business associate later asking for the rest. He texted Nancy New, quote, We would love 784000 with a smiley face emoji at the end of it. Nancy New then responded, We can send $400,000 today. I will need to let Brett know that we will need to pull this from what we're hoping to help him with on other activities. She has since then pleaded guilty to the charges that have been pressed against her. Then Brett Favre, after staying silent for more than a month after the story broke out, says he's been unjustly smeared by the media in this scandal. So now let me get right into my opinion on this. The money that Favre stole was really D-A-N-F money. And if you know what that means, it really zeroes in on how awful and amoral this whole story is. T-A-N-F means temporary assistance for needy families. That $6 million that was misused was welfare money. And welfare is essentially a sub-program of T-A-N-F. And I believe this story should be getting a lot more coverage. The Michael Vick dogfighting story back in 2007 was the number one topic on all the sports news networks for months. And it seems very few people in the sports media are talking about this whole Brett Favre situation. And I understand that the media will tend to go with the more salacious storylines. And dogfighting was a pretty salacious storyline at the time. But the difference between that story and the Brett Favre story shouldn't be 100 to 1. Especially considering the fact for a period of time that Brett Favre was the most famous football player in the whole damn world. And he's still one of the more popular players ever to have played the sport. And the worst case for Favre, in my opinion, is he'll probably pay a fine, do actual jail time, maybe less than 18 months, and then be let off the hook for it. This is a multi-million dollar fraud. This is $75 million in Mississippi's own money of taxpayer money, money that is taken out of their checks to try to help the poorest, most desperate people. And allegedly, the goddamn governor, a nonprofit leader, and the most famous Mississippi sports athlete ever are all so casual about the fact that they're taking money from these people in this way that they're texting about it. They're breaking the Stringer Bell rule. It's like they're taking notes on a criminal conspiracy here. 
because they know at the end of the day, no one's really going to care. And even if they're caught red-handed, it's not going to be covered. That's another infuriating part of this story for me. I think, and I think that's the part where we have to all get our minds right. We've been tricked so long that the poor person going into our left pocket, stealing a couple of dollars is the problem. And the rich person and the corrupt politicians and the systems in place going in our pocket for $100, it's like, eh, you know, it's $100. It's just America. That's the cost of doing business in America. And it's just maddening to think about that. So I would like for this story to get more coverage, but I would also like for us to hyperventilate less about the things the most desperate people in our society do to get by. And some of those people may not be fucking shoplifting if their welfare checks come through when they're struggling instead of going to build a volleyball stadium. So Brett Favre can say, oh, look, look what a good guy I am for building this volleyball stadium. And when we have damning evidence against a person and we read the articles and we see the text messages and we see what Brett Favre is asking and we see a former USM president say he doesn't like what Brett Favre is up to because of faulty business practices and he didn't go along with it. You are guilty. Period. End of story. And I don't know what Brett Favre is talking about when he's saying he's unjustly smeared. If he believes he's innocent, then why did his name come up in this case? You would think that he would address this right away if he truly believed he was innocent. That he or honor or any other reasonably innocent person would waste no time trying to get their name cleared before the story came to light or right after it came to light. If anything, he's just unjustly smeared himself when he decided to go along with this illegal scheme. And while Brett Favre thinks we're dumb enough to believe he did nothing wrong, we are smart enough to know that blaming the media is always a last-ditch effort of the guilty. He could have said something to the degree of him being not guilty and the others being guilty right away, but instead he resorts to the excuse of the media smearing him. That's just an admittance of guilt at that point. And these types of, of defenses where they say, I didn't do it, has become a lot more mainstream. And while I'm not surprised to hear about it, it's infuriating, and I just hate it. So uh, let me know what you guys think about this, because obviously I've processed a lot on this whole story, and it's infuriating to think about this happening because it's it's the the equivalent of it's the equivalent of somebody walking by a homeless person digging into their jar where their cash is and just putting it in their pocket and just keep on walking it's like who does that stuff it's like you have to be the lowest person in the whole world to be doing that crap and I can't even put it into words anymore. This is, you know, this, this story really kind of just angers me and it makes me sad. And I, I hope this story gets a lot more coverage from many more news outlets. And I hope Brett Favre is held accountable to the fullest extent here. But let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Um, and give this segment a like, give this episode a like and share. 
with your friends. Um, I'll have more updates on when episode five will come out. So stay tuned for that. Um, until then, cheers and have a good one.